So the last time we were in Belonging, we had just finished up Ephesians chapter 2, where Paul was talking about the idea that there's no longer a separation between Jew and Gentile. And just to make sure we're all clear, if you ain't a Jew, you a Gentile. That's not just for yesterday, that's for today. So if you're not Jewish, what are you? Gentile. We, we, most of us probably are a bunch of Gentiles up in the room. Well, he said there's no more separation between the Jew and the Gentile. He says we're all citizens of one, someone shout one, one kingdom, the kingdom of God. Not the kingdom of you, not the kingdom of Caesar, if you will, back in the day, not the kingdom of the United States of America, not the kingdom of Baptist, not the kingdom of Pentecostal, the kingdom of God. All joined together in him becoming his holy temple. Together we are his house, and we were taught last time that we were built on the foundations of apostles and prophets in line with the cornerstone that is Christ Jesus. If it don't line up with him, it ain't of him. I don't care what year it is. If it wasn't of, if it wasn't of him then, it ain't of him now. It's, Jesus does not change with the times. The time should change with where he wants to go. And I think one of the worst things that the church has done is stay silent and try to just accept everyone who they are when that's really an incomplete statement. We need to accept everyone where they're at so that we can guide them into becoming who they are. There's a difference. Okay? And Paul in Ephesians 3 is starting to continue in this vein of no separation, one kingdom. And as we begin through the rest of the letter, this is what he starts out in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. He says, when I think of all this, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus for the benefit of you Gentiles, assuming, by the way, that you know God gave me the special responsibility of extending his grace to you Gentiles, you people. It's interesting how Paul starts this letter off because what's going on with Paul is he's essentially under house arrest. He's under the supervision of the Roman government because he's about to go to trial before Caesar. So during the day, he was bound to a house, and at night, they actually chained him to a soldier. They didn't want him going anywhere. And I find it interesting knowing the context of this passage because if Paul is bound to a house, is bound to the Roman government, you would think that he would say, well, I, Paul, a prisoner of Rome, but he doesn't say that. He says, I, Paul, a prisoner of who? Christ Jesus. He doesn't say I'm a prisoner of Rome. He says I'm a prisoner of Christ. He identifies where he is connected to in heavenly realms. He identifies where he is connected to in a heavenly reality. Paul knew that Jesus was his king, that Jesus was his Lord, not the Roman government. And if he was going to identify as being bound to anything, he said it's going to be Jesus. And I believe that too many of us identify with chains to earthly things rather than binding ourselves to who we're truly connected to. Because we do it all the time. We are, we're a prisoner of our depression. We're a prisoner of stress. We're a prisoner of income level. 
Stop with this class crap. I'm not a lower class. I'm not upper class. I'm not middle class. I'm kingdom. And there is no separation. There is no us and them. We're all in the same place. The thing that differentiates us is how we manage our identity. And how you manage your identity has everything to do with what do you bind yourself to? Your circumstances or who you are in him? Romans 7 starts, says like this in verses 4 through 6. So, my brothers and sisters, you also died to the law through the body of Christ. That you might belong to one another, you might belong to another to him who was raised from the dead in order that we might bear fruit of God. For when we are in the realm of the flesh, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in us. So we bore fruit for death. But now by dying to what once bound us, we've been released from the law so that we serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. He says, you are not bound to law. So stop speaking curses on yourself when you mess up when the truth is you were raised with Christ. You are no longer identified in the flesh realm. It says you are identified in the heavenly realm. I'm going to use some examples tonight, but I want to make sure this is clear. I'm not dwelling on one healing. It's just an appropriate example. Last week when Colleen got out of her wheelchair, she experienced something that I've been teaching for a while now in this church, and I don't know if she realized it or not. This is what she said in the chair, she heard something after a couple things happened tell her to get up. God, Holy Spirit, was speaking to Colleen. Would you agree? Yes. Here's where I want to get our minds in. He wasn't speaking to paralyze Colleen. Because that Colleen was bound to a fleshly realm. He was speaking to a Colleen that he saw that wasn't operating fully yet. He spoke to a Colleen that was already walking because she was in a heavenly realm and then asked the Colleen here to get in alignment with the heavenly reality. And that's where we have to start thinking in our minds. Are you bound to your fleshly realm or are you freed because you bind yourself to a heavenly reality? Because heavenly Kyle don't get depressed. Heavenly Kyle don't get sick. Fleshly Kyle does. So in, I don't get depressed, it's just an example, by the way. Just, we, all get, we, we all deal with stuff sometimes, right? So if fleshly Kyle gets in a depressed state, I can buy myself to my flesh and sit in depression or I can buy myself to Christ which will raise me from a dead place of depression into the reality of my heavenly identity. Is this? When you sin, it is not an indicator to make you feel bad about yourself. 
And that's where the church gets it wrong. They want you to feel like the most horrible person in the world when you mess up and you sin. When you sin, it's not an indicator to make you feel bad. Feeling bad and conviction are two different things. It's an indicator that you are not being wrapped up in heavenly identity. Another way to say it is the conviction of your sin is an indicator that you are not wrapped up in the splendor of heavenly realm. Because if you were wrapped up in a supernatural splendor, you would not have the desire for the fleshly chain. Let me speak more clearly. Even though there's kids in the room, it's okay. Y'all took a chance by not going to kids' church. <laughs> if someone deals with a pornography issue, what's the real issue? They're not wrapped up in splendor of heaven. Because if they were, that wouldn't even catch their eye. People who are wrapped up in addictions, they weren't wrapped up in splendor, so they settled for a fleshly reality. We have to start getting our minds off of this, well, this is just what I deal with, and I'm a horrible person. No, it's you're binding yourself something that Jesus broke chains of so that you could bind yourself to him. And when you get in line with an identity that is whole and perfect, like Ephesians 1 talked about, and, and, and righteous and whole and good, then you start to say, I am not going to live in this state even in this state, I will live in a supernatural identity. God is so big and so great and so wonderful that I will not let anything on my flesh convince me otherwise. And because of that, I don't have time to do anything except that which is of heaven. So if you are dealing with something, it's an indicator that part of your mind is not wrapped up in splendor. And you think, well, does that make me a horrible person? No, because guess what? We, can't, we cannot grasp the entire splendor of heaven. It's so big that no matter where you're at, you can always get more of it. You can always walk into more knowledge, more mystery. We're going to talk about that in a minute. Your, your life, you will never even fathom the wholeness of it. If I can just be real, I, I, I believe that even when we get to heaven, we're not going to be able to understand the fullness of it. <clears throat> and then Paul starts to take this another step further. Because he says, you're released from a law not to live as you want, but to live in a new way, identifying yourself in a place that sin will not allow you to enter. Heaven. True man. He says, not only am I a prisoner to him, he says, I'm a prisoner to Christ for you Gentiles. You see, the entire reason he was under arrest was because of his ministry to Gentiles. But he doesn't complain he says, because of a special responsibility or because of what I'm anointed to do, I was given, because I'm anointed to do the special thing, 
I understand that I am seated and united with Christ. And if I'm suffering for something that I was called to do, then I'm going to embrace that suffering because I'm suffering with the right thing. The church always talks about embrace suffering. What I want to take you to a place today is don't embrace all suffering. Embrace suffering that comes from what you were called to do. Paul wasn't embracing the suffering of, yay, I get to go to jail. He was embracing the suffering, I'm going to jail because my anointing brought me here. You ever wonder why they could, why, why the disciples and the apostles, why they rejoiced in bad situations? Because they understood their gift took them to that place. Nothing else. Because if Paul wasn't preaching to the Gentiles, he would have never got arrested. If he did what the American church does and stay silent so not to offend, he would have never been put in jail. And when we understand who we are in Christ, we've got to start really embracing this idea of are you willing to suffer based off of what your identity is going to carry you into? Because we're all going to suffer for something based off of what we're anointed for. Maybe it's the suffering of losing friends and family. Which is why there's an entire passage about leave your, your, your mother and your father and your, your sons and daughters and, and all, it, all this stuff. Why? He wasn't saying leave them. It's you've got to be prepared to leave anything because you are walking in what you're called to do. And the biggest weakness, I think, in the Christian life is we're not willing to lose or suffer so we don't give up anything. But the key is you don't just give up anything. You give up anything that's not taking you into what you're called to do. Let me read some, is this, is this making sense? Okay. Let me, let me read some passages in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 5. The more we suffer for Christ, the more God will shower us with his comfort through Christ. Not the more we suffer, the more we suffer for Christ. What does Christ mean? What you're anointed for. The more you suffer for what you're anointed for, the more he will shower us with comfort through you walking in your anointing. Skip down to verse 8. We think you ought to know, dear brothers and sisters, about the trouble we went through in the province of Asia. We were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure, and we thought we would never live through it. Has anyone ever been through anything like that? In fact, we expected to die. But as a result, we stopped relying on ourselves and learned to rely only on God who raises the dead. It, the fear of death did not stop them because they focused on the one that would raise them from death should that be an issue. And in verse 10, and he did rescue us from mortal danger. He will rescue us again. We have placed our confidence in him, and he will continue to rescue us. Paul is living in this. He says, the more I suffer from assignment, the more I learn to depend. The more I suffer for what I'm called to do, the more I bind myself to identity in Christ and nothing else. The trick is, Suffering should come from your obedience, not your mismanagement. It's called 
Suffering versus poverty. God doesn't call everyone to be without. If you're without, that's contrary to Scripture because he says, in me, I have more than enough. If you're without, it's because you have mismanaged some things and you've got to manage it appropriately. And I can promise you that the Bible teaches you how to manage everything. Paul isn't saying embrace a mindset of I should just suffer through everything. Paul says be willing to suffer with what your anointing brings you into. Because when you walk in what you're called to do, essentially you are walking in a process of walking with God to restore things that are broken and raise to life things that are dead. That includes some mindsets that are going to reject you because of you walking in a new idea. Are y'all just glued or? Okay. Okay. Every move of God begins, I I, I would beg to say this, with most people thinking they're a bunch of crazy idiots who don't know what they're doing and they're reading the Bible wrong. But if we're walking in it and we're seeing it, it's not our job to convince, it's our job to suffer for anointing. And we walk into it more and more, and God says, I will take you into the place you need to be. Just like Paul, he wasn't meant for prison, but anointing took him through it. And a lot of times you will never see what God has for your life because you don't want to suffer to see what's on the other side of the suffering. Well, I don't want to be alone. I can name about 10 stories where alone got people into their true identity. Are you willing to suffer alone so you can discover who no one else has met? (laughs) Are you willing to suffer for what you're anointed for? You see, this poverty mindset is I don't have enough. Suffering is choosing from a place of more than enough. There's always more than enough in him. But sometimes you go through a reality that doesn't match with heaven. So how do you identify yourself in that place? Are you poor, pitiful, and broken? Or do you praise God that, just like Paul, you don't have to put up there, but I'm going to read it again. We expected to die We were overwhelmed, we could not endure, and as a result, we stopped relying on ourselves. Do you hear what he said? He said, we couldn't, we couldn't, we couldn't, we couldn't, so we stopped depending on the we that couldn't. (laughs) But this is what man does. I can't handle this. I can't do this. So we walk away. When it should be a place for us to press in. Look look at verses 3 through 5. As I briefly wrote earlier, God himself revealed his mysterious plan to me. 
As you read what I have written, you will understand my insight into this plan regarding Christ. God did not reveal it to previous generations, but now by his spirit he has revealed it to his holy apostles and prophets. Just really quick, do you realize how blessed we are to be on this side of it? The stuff that was revealed for our knowledge, previous generations didn't get it. But we got to experience it. We get to experience it. Paul says, I am not making this stuff up. He says, this truth was given to me by Father God. God showed me the plan. And he says, I don't care what it costs because I am bound to that plan. I bind my identity to him so much that I'm going to embrace a name change. They knew me as Saul. Now they know me as Paul. They knew me as a persecutor. Now they know me as a preacher. He, 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 he embraced a whole new reality. Because he says, God showed me some things. And something interesting is this passage specifically says this mysterious plan that he has showed me. In the English, the word mystery means puzzling, obscure, secret, closely guarded. You know, like if there's a mystery, you gotta you gotta work to find it. You ever, you ever been to one of those escape rooms? Those things are like hell on earth. <laughs> they take hours to figure out. It's it's supposed to be hard. But the word for mystery in this passage is from this Greek word. It's, it's, you wouldn't believe it, mysterion, and it means this: a secret not closely guarded, but open. He says, the secret that God showed me is open. It's not closely guarded. In other words, the truth of the mystery is hidden from human knowledge, but God will reveal it openly to all who seek him. If you're not giving it, it's not because it's above your pay grade. If you're not getting it, it's because you're trying to get it with your head and you're not experiencing it with new identity. You're not trying to understand it from a place where you cannot understand it. Well, that doesn't make any sense. Exactly. <laughs> he says, this mystery is open. The truth is hidden from logic. But it's open to all who say, show me heaven. You see, at this point, the Old Testament prophesied about this coming Messiah that would extend salvation to Gentiles. So for Paul to talk about that dude has come and Gentiles are accepted, it was a very bold statement in that day. That's why everyone rejected it, or most people rejected it. They were like, what are you talking about? Which is kind of crazy that they were, they were living their life based on a promise, and when the promise showed up, they rejected the promise. And we're all laughing, but we do the same thing as believers. The promise of freedom has come, but you still live in bondage. Right? Well, you can't say anything because you'll offend them. I'm going to say anything that would offend their locked up self in love. We've got to get to this place where we say, Lord, I am identifying as bound to you. Take me wherever and use me for whatever, no matter what the cost. 
Because if he could pay his life for me, I can do anything in his name. Knowledge isn't a bad thing, but where we get it wrong is we bind to knowledge and not seeking him for the things that knowledge can't comprehend. Like, we can all have knowledge that there is heaven. But like last week, when we started talking about we are ladders of angels descending up and down, that's when knowledge can't get it. You can read about it, but to get it is a different thing. For those of you that might not have heard last week's message, one thing we talked about was we, we saw it in Acts, it was prophesied in the Old Testament, Jesus spoke about it, that basically we are the temple of God, ladders, if you will, for God to do whatever he wants for angels to ascend and descend on the throne. It happened in the upper room. They were seeking God, and all of a sudden, wind and fire came down. Hebrews 1.7 says angels up, go up and down, and they're sent like wind, and they're sent like fire. I had no idea that this woman back there, the reason she got up, because she said she felt fire come from the top of her head to the tip of her toes, and she had a little thing of wind put her back, and then she heard stand up. And it wasn't little. It wasn't little. And she had no idea what I was preaching. And I had no idea what God was going to do. But there was agreement in a realm that we didn't have knowledge of. Amen. Do you understand? Okay. Paul reiterates. He said, I didn't come up with this. God revealed it to me. And, it, and the crazy thing is, I, I think sometimes the church lifts Paul up because he wrote half the stuff. He was probably just, he had a lot of time on his hands. He was in jail all the time. <laughs> But Paul wasn't the only one that it was revealed to. It was revealed to Peter as well. Can I read it to you? In Acts chapter 11, look what it says, verse 1 through 10. Soon the news reached the apostles and other believers in Judea that the Gentiles received the word of God. Do you understand what just, just that one verse? What, the Gentiles got it? Those people, right? I'm cool with being those people. But when Peter arrived back in Jerusalem, the Jewish believers criticized him. You entered the home of Gentiles. You even ate with them. And Peter told them exactly what had happened. You see, what had happened was, I was in the town of Joppa, he said. And while I was praying, I went into a trance and saw a vision. Something like a large sheet was let down by its four corners from the sky. It came right down to me. When I looked inside the sheet, I saw all sorts of tame and wild animals, reptiles, and birds. And I heard a voice say, get up, Peter, kill and eat them. No, Lord. You know, you, you know don't, don't tell him no. <laughs> like when he says, get up. Like when he says, apply for the job that you don't think you're qualified for. Like when he says to manage the thing as if you were already in the thing. Okay. No, Lord, I've never eaten anything. Our Jewish laws declared impure or unclean. He says, I'm not going to just eat anything. I'm, I'm, I'm of Jewish descent. I, I haven't eaten anything impure or unclean. But the voice from heaven spoke again. Do not call something unclean if God made it clean. It's not that it wasn't unclean. He says, I will make unclean things clean. This, ha yeah. this happened three times. 
before the sheet and all it contained was pulled back up to heaven. Peter said, the only reason I was able to break through this Jew-Gentile barrier myself is God showed me something. That God declared them clean the moment Jesus paid to rescue them out of their uncleanliness. And he says, God told me I cannot call them unworthy if God made them worthy. And Peter's one of my favorites in the Bible because he's he's so predictable. You know, the funny thing is, you know, in this dream, God had to show him the sheet with the unclean and clean three times. Just like he asked Peter, do you love me? Three Three times. Just like Peter denied him Three three times. But even in Peter denying Christ, God didn't call him unclean. Perhaps that's why Jesus says you can blaspheme me all you want, just don't blaspheme Holy Spirit, which Peter never did. How dare you call yourself unworthy of a call when God made you worthy and called you? You want to know why you call yourself unworthy? Because you have not learned to bind yourself to a heavenly identity. You bind yourself to knowledge that prevents you from walking in it. If God puts something on your heart to do that you, you, you just, that's not me. Don't bind yourself to who you are now. Maybe God is showing you who you're truly meant to be and your flesh doesn't want to go there. But if you bind yourself to him, the flesh will be dragged through the binding don't tell God no because you are you're basing your yes off what you see. Right? Is this is this okay? Look at verses six and seven. This is this is God's plan. He's like, you want to know the mystery? This is the plan. This is this is the big deal. This is the thing that no one got. Both Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news share equal, equally in the riches inherited by God's children. Let me just say that again. Both Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news, that rhymes, share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. Both are part of the same body. Both enjoy the promise of blessings because they belong to Christ Jesus. When you understand you belong to him, you understand that everything of him is for you. That's why he says, oh, all the stuff you see me do, yeah, you're going to do more. But you know what religion does? Religion says your worship is reading about what he did and praising him for what he did. But that's incomplete worship. Complete worship is knowing what he did, praising him for what he did, and asking, what would you have me do? Because if you understand who you are in Christ, then you understand that he wants to do more in 2022 through the you that he died for. He did not die just so you could get to heaven. He died so that you can walk in heaven before you get there. Amen. 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 
I believe what God is doing in this house is getting people to understand who we are in a heavenly realm so Savannah can be opened up to a heavenly dimension. It's not God's going to heal people so that people will say, oh, look, they got healed. It's so they can understand it wasn't so much about healing and infirmity as walking into the truth of the person that had none. It's understanding who we truly are and not bonding ourselves to a flesh that Jesus says, I was bruised and broken for that. And I don't want you broken. So bind yourself to who you are. You ever notice that every miracle that Jesus performed, he never spoke to the issue? He spoke to the person? He spoke to the paralyzed man and said, get up, take your mat. He didn't say, do you want a healing? Can I lay my hands on your legs and ask if it's been healed to the first, second, third, fourth, or fifth degree? No, he just said, hey, get up. He was speaking to who he was, not what he was dealing with. I, I, I challenge you to shift your prayers. Don't pray that they get that they just get delivered from, from, from alcohol. Pray that they would understand that the true them doesn't like the taste of it. You can put that in anything. Homosexuality. You're wasting time trying to convince them of something that they don't know who they are. So start speaking to something that they have not bound themselves to. Because they're still good. And God still loves them. You put that with anything. God's not going to say just live as you want. He, he wants you to live as he wanted you. Yeah, it is. Verse 7. By God's grace and mighty power, I have been given the privilege of serving him by spreading this good news. He says, this is the plan. One church, no more separation. And one church means one church. And he says, everyone shares equally in the inheritance as God's children. Not part of it, all of it. Now, here's the thing about inheritance. Proverbs 20, 21. An inheritance obtained too early in life it's not a blessing in the end. Too early in life is not defined by your age. It's defined as being bound to a false identity. Because if, if you received everything in your false identity, you wouldn't know what to do with it. Hence the story of the prodigal son. He took it and wasted it. Because he got it in a false identity. The great thing about the father is his resources are always there. So when he came back, he says, I celebrate that you came home. Now walk into a new kind of inheritance. And I'm going to restore everything you lost. So let me give you some peace for everyone in this room that's getting this for the first time. When you bind yourself to him, you haven't lost anything. I would say that you haven't experienced it.
when you walk in your true identity, there are things you were there were things that that man was created for that your current man can't do. Let me go back to my sermon illustration. It wasn't just that God said, get up. It wasn't just embrace who you are. It was, I've got things for you that a wheelchair can't do. (laughs) Where she would be wrong is, look, I'm walking. Where she's right, because we've taught, is she's praying, what does God want me to do? If we could all get that, why has he freed you? He's got things for you that dead man and bound man could not handle. Why can you handle it? Because the spirit who raised him from the dead not only raised you from the dead, but is inside of you. Are y'all getting this? Because this is... Paul says the privilege of enjoying blessing inheritance, he says, it's not reserved for someone of Jewish descent. He said it's not reserved for earthly Israel. He says Israel is no longer defined as of this world. He says it's not based off of Jews. It's not based off of Gentiles. He says this whole inheritance thing is based off of a new heavenly man. Neither Jew nor Gentile. It's kingdom of God. And I'm going to say something that's going to make some people mad, but I'm going to say it anyways. <laughs> Yet believers today think, well, let's just recreate Jew 2.0 and do away with all the stuff the church has embraced. So, yeah. So, so this is what this is what churches like ours, and, we, and I think I've been guilty of it. Can I be honest? We say we're not going to celebrate Easter, but then we do something, but then we say, well, then we must go, then we must do like the Seder of the Jewish religion. And God says, hold on, no more Jew or Gentile. He, said, he says, you ain't got to recreate the feast, you just got to dine in the feast. Not that it's bad. It's just he says, you're not bound to that anymore. So Christians, you're not more holy because you understand Jewish traditions. You know what makes you holy? Binding yourself to heavenly man. Because the only way you got heavenly man is Christ who made you holy. Verse 7 says, For all these reasons, I've been given the privilege of serving him. The Greek word here for serving is diakonos. Essentially, it means this, I became a minister. But can I tell you what an actual minister is? Because minister in America is far from it. What minister meant translated, are y'all listening to this? What minister meant, translated from the Greek word diakonos was this. 
a table waiter at the bidding of a customer. So a minister is this. We're all at the bidding of God, seated at his table, ready to go and do whatever he has for us and commanded us to do. All are equal partakers at this table, but for some reason we're waiting to get qualified when you've missed the fact that he has already qualified you. And you know how waiters get good at waiting? They start waiting. You don't wake up with a talent to hold a tray. I bet that I would drop so many of those things. You just start doing it, and you start getting better at it, and it becomes a natural flow. Do I have anyone in the food industry that can testify to this? It just starts becoming a natural. Here's where, the, where you're going to get it wrong. Well, I understand that I'm a heavenly man, but how, do, but how do I get to the place where I can start walking? Start walking. You're going to stumble. You're going to look like an idiot. You're going to get it wrong. But if you would start, you would start to understand what you're meant to walk as. Eight, eight and nine. It's 745. I'm almost halfway through it. <laughs> Chill, I'm just kidding. Maybe, maybe not. Verse 8. Though I am the least deserving of all God's people, he graciously gave me the privilege of telling the Gentiles about the endless treasures available to them in Christ. I was chosen to explain to everyone this mysterious plan that God, the creator of all things, has kept secret from the beginning. Paul just said, he gave me the privilege of telling the Gentiles, which is exactly why he's in jail. But he understood what was going on. He was embracing any suffering that flowed from a kingdom assignment because he was waiting. And sometimes in waiting, like waiting, is that how you hold it, the, the tray? I don't, yeah, I don't know. Sometimes in waiting, the order seems like it's too much to handle. So when you start waiting in the name of Jesus, he says, let my strength help you hold up the serving tray. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Let me say it another way, because Christ made a way for you to carry the anointing. I can do all things that my anointed, but that what I, I can do all things when I walk in what I was anointed to do. If you're anointed To heal the sick, start. You ain't got to go to seminary school. Trust me, they got it wrong. You want proof? Look at the state of the church of today. If you're anointed to preach, start doing it. If all you know is Jesus saves, start talking about Jesus saves. Whatever you're anointed to do, whatever. Well, one day I'll get there. Well, I'm just not there yet. Well, you're not going to get there if you don't start doing something. The scripture teaches us that a mantle was placed on you. A mantle, it was, it was this, this fabric that was placed on people that represented a gift on them or a call on their life. 
A mantle was a thing that fell on you or empowered you to go and do. Like the dove that descended on Jesus. Like the wind that rushed through the upper room. Like, 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 like the, 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 the cloak that fell on many. The Holy Spirit has play, was placed on you. Here, let me just say that. You know what your mantle is? Holy Spirit. It was placed on you to empower you to go and do all the things that you weren't capable of. All the things that he graced you, he graced you to wear a mantle. You weren't worthy to be his dwelling place, so he graced you to be the dwelling place. And just as Paul was chosen to explain to everyone, including these Gentiles, you've got a purpose. You have a mantle on your life. Your heavenly man was created to do something. Your true man was purposed for something. So this whole idea of how do I identify? Do you identify as fallen? Do you identify as worthless? Do you identify as bound or do you identify as I am God's created? And he don't mess things up. Don't embrace yourself as unworthy, pitiful, and a failure because essentially you're rejecting what Jesus made and you're saying, I don't want to believe in that. Let me embrace this counterfeit. I don't know about you, but I'm tired of embracing the counterfeit. I want to find out who I really am. Because I, I, like personally, like Kyle Garrison, I know who I was 15 years ago, 10 years ago, 5 years ago, even last year, right? And, and, and I, I like this version a lot better, which makes me go, I can't wait to meet who I really am. Because there's more. And, but here's where the, where the church will get it wrong, is don't do this like, yeah, and amen, because I just said I'm going there. Because what the church mindset does is, oh, yeah, he's going to be a better preacher. And he's going to do that. He's going to build. No, no, no. That's not the purpose of it. The purpose of it is for you to understand there's a great version of you that you haven't met that is going to do more than I ever could. The purpose of my gift is to equip you to do the things that I can't. Scripture. Apostles, prophets, teachers, pastors, and evangelists. They're, they're, they're not people, they're functions to train you. It is the most pride-swallowing position ever. But when you bind yourself to heavenly man, you fall in love with it. Amen. I can tell you personally, I don't find joy in a room being full anymore. Just being real with you. My goal is not to put numbers up on the screen about how many baptized and how many people came to church. What really excites me is when people start saying, I know what I'm supposed to do. Amen. That's where I want to invest. And it's accessible to all of you. I may just have to stop this and continue it next week. Go on? Okay. Okay. Y'all heard him. <laughs> Verse 8, Paul says, tell the, he says, I'm telling the Gentiles about the endless treasure available. He says, y'all need to realize what we have access to that we never had access to before. He says, this stuff was kept a secret before Jesus, but it's not a secret anymore. You know what the new covenant is? The stuff that was hidden 
ain't hidden. And if you don't understand who you are in him, you'll never access the secret stuff that ain't secret no more. What secrets? That we don't just get to know of Christ, but we get to live a life that we aren't worthy of. Yet for some reason, we walk as unworthy. You ever realize that every time Paul says he isn't worthy, he always follows up with a but. But look at what he did. Look at what he made me to be. I hear a lot of people always, we, we think we're going to take this really good Christian place of I'm not worthy. You're contradicting what he made you to be. You weren't, but you are now. That's not prideful to say I'm worthy when you understand why. I am worthy because he made me worthy. We cannot walk as a church with power to change Savannah if we don't think we're worthy to do it. It's that we didn't earn the worthiness. It was grace to us. He says, you are worthy. Now carry my name. And, it's, and when he says carry my name, it's not just a name. It's an identity. It's a, it, it's, it's a heavenly place where you're not bound to laws of earth. Laws of earth said Lazarus wasn't going to get out of the grave. Laws of earth says paralyzed people don't walk. Laws of earth say, well, if, you, you know, if you're just sad, God can heal you, but if you've got a mental illness, you're just out of luck. Not according to my heavenly identity. Because just as much someone who's just feeling back and get healed, I, I believe fully we're going to see people that have looked. I believe that there are legitimate mental illnesses, but I also believe that those legitimate mental illnesses can be healed. Yeah. What, talk about miracles. What if someone with mental illness started preaching to the doctors that told them they couldn't? <laughs> that was weird. I don't know what that laugh was. That, that was Heavenly Kyle. <laughs> Woo! Gosh. All right, verse 10. God's purpose in all of this was to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety to all unseen rulers and authority in heavenly places. This was his eternal plan, which he carried out through Christ Jesus our Lord. God says, I made you worthy so I could reveal who I am through people to all of the authorities. Now, here's where I'm going to mess you up a little bit. It doesn't say to demonic authorities. It's all unseen, but it's not just the evil unseen. He, all unseen rulers and authorities. We talk in demons and we talk in angels. I, he says all the angelic beings will see his authority in his bride. 
Who's the bride? We are. When we don't know who we when we don't know who we are, evil, the demonic, those rulers, they'll walk, do what they want, whisper what they want, influence cities, influence nations, because they have nothing to fear, because we don't look like the thing that they fear. Christ. Right? God's purpose is to use us to show them where they have dominion. Where should they have dominion? Nowhere. Now on the other side of that, it's also angels. Let me put forth to you. I'm about to show you some scripture. Don't worry. Angels get revelation of God's greatness through what you look like. Which is why we have angels waiting for us to be giving them assignments. Because they are seeing a display of the king's wisdom in the earth. When you start sending angels into situations, you know, a lot of battles would be a lot easier if you started sending unseen things to deal with unseen things. You want to start helping your kids get clear of mind in their sleep state? Send angels to guard their dreams. If you think you're going to guard their dreams just by guarding the TV channels, you haven't opened your eyes up to there's a lot more going on. When you start sending angels to situations, they delight in a display of his wisdom because they start to see what you're mantled to walk in, which is a display of a bride submitting to her groom. 1 Peter 1, 10 through 12. This salvation was something even the prophets wanted to know about when they prophesied about his grace and salvation prepared for you. They wondered what time or situation the Spirit of Christ within them was talking about when he told them in advance about Christ's suffering and his great glory afterward. They were told that their messages were not for themselves, but for you. And now this good news has been announced to you by those who preach in the power of the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. It is also wonderful that even the angels are eagerly watching these things happen. Do you realize the privilege of what Christ did for us? Not just the promise of eternal living, but that we would be the revealing of all who he is. And when angels see a deeper revealing of who he is, they start descending from heaven like ladders. Like we talked about last week. Why did they descend in the upper room? Because they saw a display of God in the earth that they hadn't seen since Genesis chapter 1. You want to know how we are going to get to a place where we see stuff like in Acts 2 happen? when the angels start to see us display who he is. And that is only by way of Holy Spirit, which we could only get because Christ made us worthy, which he only made us worthy because he came to do the will of his Father.
And that's why the Father loved you. He said, I want myself back in this earth. And I'm going to do it through the people that I created to do it. Ephesians 3.12. Because of Christ and our faith in him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. You know, when you research this stuff, you're going to find all kind of crazy things. Because the Greek word for boldness, parisha, it simply means this, free speech. Because of Christ and our faith in him, we can now come with free speech into the presence of God. Any faith that says you can't go directly, directly to God doesn't understand the gift of identity in Christ. Because your free speech to God is not based off of good report. It's based on how he now sees you and how his angel sees you. So when you come into the presence of God, you can ask anything of him. Because he says, come with free speech. You can ask for something like, Lord, let, let my legs come to life. You, you, you can ask something like, Lord, look, take this depression off of me. You, you, you can ask something like, Lord, I've got this family member who will not accept Christ. You can say, Lord, let them see. Free speech in the throne room. See, Jesus did more than just make you right. He made you right and the ability to come bold. Come with free speech. Come to him with anything. I just can't, I just can't go. Bold. I can't ask God for that. Then you're in direct opposition of what he made you to be. Let me just say this. The Daniel fast was not written in the Bible to become a popular church diet plan. Because you know when you do Daniel fast, you're not doing it for spiritual purposes. You want to lose the pounds, right? It was an example of Daniel using boldness, free speech in the throne room. And when the angels saw the free speech in the throne room, they started coming down. And it took 21 days to get there. Because they were fighting with the prince of the power of Persia and authority. It wasn't because Daniel said, the Lord told me if I fast for 21 days, I'm going to get an answer. It wasn't that. He went to the throne room of God for 21 days until because he knew he could come with free speech. And all of us are made worthy to speak. You want to get angels moving? Start talking to God. Remember, when Christ died for us, he says, there's no longer just one priest in the throne room. I'm making you all priests and kings. Go there. Verse 13. Please don't lose heart because of my trials here. I'm suffering for you, so you should feel honored. Paul says, I'm being used. I'm in my place. Suffering for others, he was doing it so that the others could see their place. He, he, he was saying, why shouldn't we give up? Because we suffer in the I wish they would, so they will. We suffer in the I'm tired of praying for the hope that they will see. You ever get tired of praying for someone? Embrace that suffering for the manifestation of heaven in their life. 
it's, it, it's okay to understand what suffering is. Like when you're called to pray for your enemy. To pray for the mother or father that don't deserve your prayers, right? You, you talk about suffering, like praying for the spouse who stabbed you in the back. Or even the ex-spouse that stabbed you in the back. That's suffering, right? Praying for the boss that you have to go into work to see Monday. And you're tired of praying because you obviously ain't seeing nothing change. Please don't lose heart because of my trials here. I am suffering for you, so you should feel honored. I want to make sure I say this right because it's not just embracing any type of suffering. It's what you're called to do. You may not be called to speak into your boss. You are called to honor him or her. You've got, you've got to get lost in what are you called to do. And that calling pairs with a level of suffering. Hashtag being a pastor. There's a lot of things I love about it. There's a lot of things I suffer through. But it doesn't get me down. It doesn't stress me out. It doesn't give me anxiety. Because I am called to suffer through it for you. For me. For him. If everyone would just get that principle. Verse 14, when I think of all this, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. He says, I can now directly speak with the creator of all because Jesus made me worthy, giving me the power and language of all things I need by his spirit. I'm getting close, y'all. I know this is long, but if Jesus preached for hours, you can deal with it a little bit too. I want to read verse 15 in the New King James. It says, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. Do you realize that when we say we are the family of God, we're included with those in heavenly places? It's just different dimensions, but same access. Let me put forth, let me put forth to you that those in heaven have no more access than what we do. It's a different dimension. But to get your mind to wrap around that is your biggest struggle. What do you mean? They're in the presence of God. So are you. But yeah, but they're in the throne room. Well, you're a priest, which means you can go to the throne room. But we've made this whole Christianity that Jesus didn't even come to make. He came to abolish religion, and we just came up with a new one. I want to get to the place when people say, are you a Christian? Nope, I follow Christ. Talk about making people mad, right? That wasn't meant to be a slight. And if it, if it, if it was to you, get over it. So, same access. It's understanding I identify in my heavenly state who is in the same place as they are. 
That's when we're going to start seeing the heavens break open into every, into every sphere of our life when we understand we're here, but we're also not here. Verse 16 through 17, I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. Verses 18 through 19. May you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to fully understand. Then you will be made complete with the fullness of life and power that comes from God. He says, where he dwells, your roots will grow down into love and keep you strong. And then he says, let me tell you and show you how to measure the love. He says, how wide it is. How much it covers. His love covers circumstance. It covers sins. It covers the who's. He says, the, the length of the love, beginning to end. He is. The beginning and the end. He's the start, the finish, the finish to the start. You don't don't get to say, God, when will you? Because God's response is, I've always been. His love is deep. It goes to the lowest low, plucking you out of death. His love is high. He said, and what, here's, what is love is high? He lifts you from low, not to earth, but to heavenly places. The highest high. He doesn't get limited based off of your mindset of what high is. And I wonder, how can he love us like that and we worry? How can he love us like that and we not believe that miracles are going to become natural? I want to take it one step further. I'm not interested in just a season of miracles. Because I believe that's what the wilderness was when Moses was coming out of Egypt. He wants to take us to promised land where there is no need. So that when people come, we are no longer in place of need. We are in a place of unlimited resource. That's why if you ever hear me say it, the goal was not revival. Revival is process for the goal. Restoration. And the last scripture, and I'll let you go. Verse 20 through 21. Now all glory to God, who is able through his mighty power work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Anything you can think, anything you can ask, he can do more. I think I can ask for the dead to be raised, and he says I can do more. What's more? I don't know. And that excites the mess out of me. But but do you really believe that? Okay. Oh. That was rhetorical, y'all. And the last verse. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Paul ends this chapter and he brings attention to the whole point. All glory to God. He's accomplished it all and he says, 
bind yourself to that. Do you identify as immersed in him, covered in him, found in him, loved in him, equipped by him, empowered by him, and grace to do anything? When we start to understand who we are in him, he will be glorified in a whole new way as we start to walk in purpose, glorifying God. We, this summer, we start year eight of this house. Eight means new beginnings. Seven is the number of completion. Eight's a, I say we're already walking in eight. And what's coming is going to be based off of one thing, us understanding how do we identify. Let us be bound to our identity in Christ. Amen? Let's stand. Can we give God praise tonight? Amen.